podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. So a little while back, shortly after Ian bought his house that we will expressly not call the ranchette anymore, we had the Robs, and that's Rob Dix and Rob Bentz on the show to talk about property investment. But during that conversation, and just after, I know, Ian, you guys ended up talking about a whole lot more, and we hadn't really gotten into that on the show yet, because it's much different than property investing. I mean, basically... They've built an empire around their podcasts. You know, they have a 10,000 person strong membership community. And they also have a business that sources and manages properties for the clients that they find through their show. So it's really fascinating to hear about their perspective about growing an audience around their expertise. What's interesting to it about me is that with these types of businesses, they're not, and specifically like an audience based business. You don't run them the same way you'd run, say, an e-commerce business or an Amazon business. In what way are they different? Well, it's not just all about X's and O's and maximizing profit because you have a relationship with your audience, you know? Or maybe it is about X's and O's. Maybe it is about hugs and kisses. It's not about ones and zeros. I think that's what you you meant to say. (laughs) You know, when you talk to Rob and Rob about their business, it's obvious that it's not just about maximizing the bottom line is that they're also concerned about the relationship that they have with that audience. And that's why they've built such a successful one. And they're also concerned with how they spend their time. You know, they don't want to spend their time maximizing every dollar that they can get from every listener. They want to spend their time how they want to spend their time. And that might not be through the process of over-optimization or maximizing profits in their business. So in this episode, we're going to take a listen to some of the Rob's thoughts as well as share some of our own. And of course, we'd love to hear yours too. This one will be posted at tropicalmba.com slash how does your business feel? Did I say it in a suggestive enough manner? Yeah, that was good. (laughs) And just for clarity, Rob Dix is going to mention Juntos or Juntos. And those are meetups that are hosted by Dynamite Circle community members on the third Thursday of every month. In fact, I was just at one, and they happen in about 20 cities worldwide. So this interview kicks off with Ian asking Rob Bentz about how he met his business partner, Rob Dix, and how they pulled the whole thing together. We really both, before we met each other, like property investment and found it really, really interesting. Where we got lucky is that we both had a passion for property investment and we both had a passion for business. And the two combined, we were just lucky that our passions fell in an industry that, if you get it right, can pay well and you can build you know, exciting businesses off the back of it. We have always liked property. It's not something we forced ourselves into. It's a natural enthusiasm. And we've also had an enthusiasm for business and the two have just combined really nicely. And you guys have figured out a way to build a seven-figure business off the idea of property investing. And so tell me a little bit about your revenue streams. Tell me a little bit about the different properties that you're operating. 
So the property podcast, the forum, we give away exactly how to invest in property. We don't hold anything back. I think that's one of the things that's helped us grow. Very much like your own podcast, where you gave so much information and knowledge away. People really like that. And we've done the same with the property podcast. So we we tell people, hey, if you want to invest, this is how you do it. And we talk about all different strategies as well, even strategies that our businesses have no interest in working in, but we just give all the knowledge away. Now, if you build a big enough audience because you're giving so much away, a percentage will want to work with you. So what we have is businesses that allow people to invest in property but not have to do the work. So that's great. Thank you for teaching me how to do it. But actually, can you go and find those investments for me and can you go and manage it? And that's where it works so well. So here's all the tools, but if you don't want to do it, we're here in the background. And we don't push it. We don't go heavy on, and remember our businesses, you know, it's not like that. It's just, it's in the background. We occasionally let people know it's there, but people want to work with us because we give all the knowledge away. They hopefully then trust us because we show we know what we're talking about. And then the business then benefits because these people who don't want to do it themselves will end up coming to us. Tell me a little bit about the responsibility that you have to those people that do come to you after you've given them all this information and they say, hey, Rob and Rob, that's great, but I really feel comfortable with you guys finding these properties for me. In some cases, it seems like managing these properties. What's the kind of responsibility that you have to these people? Huge. Because you're under so much pressure, you have an inbuilt trust because the podcast people feel like they know you and they trust you. It's high risk as well because we've built public profiles If we mess it up, we're public, so we can publicly be torn down quite quickly as well. So there's a huge pressure on our shoulders to get it right. We come from a good place and we want to get it right, and we do. But mistakes can happen. You know, property investment isn't a smooth process all the time. Things can happen. You can get bad tenants. You can get properties that don't rent as well as you'd expected. You know, it doesn't happen often, but it does happen. So you have to be very honest. You have to be completely transparent that here's all the risks. And we do that through all the information we give out. But if you can accept that and you're comfortable with all these risks, then great, come on board. But there's huge pressure to get it right because so many people trust you. And we don't get everything perfect all the time. Obviously, things always go wrong. But I think what we do helps with that as well, because hopefully from what we put out there and the way we come across on the podcast, they know that we're not trying to rip them off. We're not trying to get one over on them. If something hasn't worked out, we'll always fix it. It's not some elaborate scheme to part them from their money. So I think doing the educational stuff we do helps in terms of bringing in business. It also makes people perhaps more forgiving when things aren't going perfectly with the business, but it still feels like a very heavy responsibility because you're aware that you built up this trust and accidentally you could let them down. Which came first? Was it the podcast and the forum or was it the property management side? There was a property sourcing business first, so finding the deals, that came first. However, it really took off after the podcast, and then that allowed us to launch the management company as well. So the podcast was the driver behind that. And then because of the podcast, we were able to launch the forum, and then we were able to launch a print magazine. So the podcast has enabled us to do a lot. And I also heard that you guys have meetups too. And what are the people discussing in the meetups Yeah, we've got a network now of, I think, like 35 or something like that around the UK. And then we've got some internationally as well. And it is just people who are involved in property or people who are getting started and want to be involved in property, getting together and talking about it. 
we always try to kind of provide a theme for each event. I just realized we ripped off Juntos totally. <laughs> That's exactly what we're doing because we just do because we do them on the first Thursday of every month. So all around the country, they're all on the same day. We kind of provide a theme that people can talk about if they want to. But it's just people getting together and talking. There's loads of these events around already, but in common with the way that we've approached everything that we do, we've made them free and we've taken all the sales out of it. So there's a lot of things you can go to where you can meet other investors and you can also get a guy standing on the stage wearing a cheap suit pitching something to you for half an hour. We just took that guy on the stage away and just had the chat and kind of getting to meet interesting people. So is that what you guys would say the Robin Rob approach is? I mean, like you said, a lot of people are talking about property investing. Is the Robin Rob approach is that we're just not hard selling you anything or we're hardly selling you anything at all? Very much so. Nobody likes to be hard sold. People think that's the way you do things, but it isn't. It's make people aware that you know what you're talking about. And then people will self-qualify themselves. They'll either go, I really like what they've got to say. Let's make contact and do stuff with them. Or go, wow, those guys are losers. But then at least we don't hear that because they're doing it by themselves and they make the decisions themselves. So people self-qualify. So the hard sales approach, unfortunately in property, seems the norm. So just being different, just being nice and helping people and not being salesy stands out. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that a lot of the industry is salesy? I guess it's one of those industries where wherever there's a lot of money to be made, there's always people in there to try and take advantage of that. I don't know a lot about these kind of things, but like things like Forex and day trading and all that kind of thing. I'm sure that you get all kinds of seminars where you go along to the event and it's free and then you get really hard sold into some kind of like program where you get cost thousands of dollars and you get told all the secrets. I'm sure it happens in those industries because it happens in property because there's money to be made and wherever there's money, people are going to come in and take advantage of that. And like Rob said, people kind of think that that's the way to do it. The way to make the most sales and to make the money is to sell as hard as you can. But over the long term, I don't think that's true. We could have made a lot more than we have at this point by really, really pushing it. But then I'm convinced we wouldn't do anywhere near as well over a long period of time. Now, a few episodes ago, Ian, we talked with Tim Urban. And he said something similar to what the Robs are saying here, which is that if you build an audience that trusts you, you can always find ways to monetize it down the line. So you don't have to rely on the hard sell or you don't have to take advantage of every moment you have to make a sale. Whereas if you look at maybe a traditional business that's advertising in the classifieds or that's advertising anywhere, like that's money going out the door. Now, all of a sudden, someone comes in the door and you're going to try to maximize that opportunity. And I think just the mechanics are a little bit different than the audience-based approach. I hate to even say it like this, but when you have an audience like that, you can make it a more natural interaction, right? I was going to say like you can make it feel like a more natural interaction, but that's essentially what it is, right? So it's like you're not hard selling to people. You're letting people know about opportunities as they come up. There's almost less urgency a lot of times too. One of the ways you could say is it's showing versus telling. And if you're telling people, you know, some people have asked me, you know, do you ever feel guilty when people take what you are doing on the show and, you know, they fail out in life and stuff like that? And I don't know, have you ever felt guilty from something that's happened because of this show? 
we don't do a lot of selling on the show. And I think part of that is because I don't want to feel guilty about it in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, you don't want to have that responsibility of putting that out there and then having people use it and then having the success rate be very low, which honestly I think is the case with a lot of these products that people sell online that are especially information-based is, yeah, the hard truth is like they help one out of 20 people. I think I'm just like not okay with that. And so there's a lot of reasons why we don't sell products that are related to the content of the show because yeah, I'm not confident that they're going to work for everybody. And I'd rather just talk with you because it feels a lot better than selling a product that doesn't work for everyone. So what did you and Rob talk about next? So I asked Rob Bentz, how do you measure success in these kinds of systems, which can maybe eventually lead into other businesses? You know, if it's not about continuously like growing these businesses and continuously pumping these audiences, like what is it about? We recently surveyed our audience to see how many people were aware of our companies and 40% actually had no idea that we had other businesses, (laughs) (laughs) which shows we probably need to do a slightly better job. But the percentage probably isn't that high. I haven't got the exact number of how many people come to us as a percentage term of podcast listeners or forum members, because we're very lucky that our audience is quite big. So it doesn't need to be a big percentage, and that's okay. As I mentioned, people can self-qualify themselves and say, yes, this is exactly what I want, but do the opposite as well and go, I like their information, but I'm going to use it for myself, or I'm going to use it in a different way. And that's fine too. If we put out good stuff and build a big enough audience, we only need a small percentage to work with us to make it worthwhile. Which is interesting. And so how do you decide how much enough is enough? Are you purposely trying to keep this company small? We're not trying to keep it small, but we're trying to grow in a sustainable way. When we launched the property management business, we could have tried our best to grow as fast as we possibly could. And we wanted to because like marketing is the fun bit. It was really tempting to try and scale that really quickly. But if we'd done that, we might have done a really poor job and burned all that trust that we'd spent such a long time building up. So we're trying to make sure that we scale at a rate that allows us to keep the quality up. So we've got big ambitions. This isn't like, you know, we'll just kind of give everything away and we'll try and make just enough to keep our heads above water so we can keep giving all the information away. Like we want to create big, meaningful businesses, but there's no rush to do it right now if that's going to be at the expense of quality. Hey, this is Dan just dropping in to remind those of you who are interested in TMBA Masterminds that registration is open now. And you can find out more information at tropicalmba.com slash TMBA Masterminds. And we'll be open until March 7th. And I'm going to run the ad right now. Today, the TMBA podcast is sponsored by TMBA Masterminds. Have you made your first few sales online but are having trouble getting your business to the point of liftoff, replacing your professional or consulting salary, with a full-time location-independent income. Well, the good news is that you've already done the hardest part, which is getting started. What you need now isn't more knowledge, it's more action. And one of the best ways to ensure you take effective actions towards your goals is to join a small group of your peers, particularly those with similar goals and achievements in life, who are also working hard to achieve business success. You're hurting your chances of success if you're trying to do this alone. For a limited time, We'll be connecting listeners of this podcast into hand-picked masterminds based on industry, expertise, lifestyle, and other factors that constitute our secret sauce. <laughs> to learn how you can join a TMBA mastermind, visit tropicalmba.com slash TMBA masterminds. That's tropicalmba.com slash TMBA masterminds. The doors on our first mastermind matching period ends on March 7th. 
So act fast. In the future, we're going to be looking at doing more sponsorships with listeners of this show. So if your business is interested in partnering with the TMBA podcast, you can check out our interest form at tropicalmba.com slash sponsors. Thank you so much for your support. Tell me a little bit about what your organization looks like. It's interesting. We've got the property sourcing business, which I'm involved in, and the property management business, which we're both involved in. The property management business, we made a conscious decision from the start to not work in it day to day. So we never got in the trenches. We never did any of those type of roles. And we also made the decision to run it completely remote. So there's no office there. That business has been fun. It's been a real learning curve because we hadn't done the roles before. We instantly went in as the CEOs and built a team around it. So in the beginning, you know, we didn't bootstrap. We made a loss because we brought a team in from day one. Thankfully, now it makes a profit. But it was the first time either of us had done that. We both had businesses previously. Some we were still running. But the management business was a first for us because Rob D likes to travel and I couldn't pin him down to an office. So we had to do it that way. And it's worked out well. Yeah, we just made sure that we hired really well. It was a very conscious decision. And I kind of remember when we were having the early discussions about, you know, where should the office be? And Rob was thinking, oh, you know, maybe I can, even if you're away, I can go in there a couple of times a week. And then we kind of got to the point of, well, why have an office? What would that allow us to do? that we can't do otherwise. And by being remote, we've been able to hire the very best people regardless of where they are. So you have a team around your property management. Tell me a little bit about some of the other teams that you have. I have to assume with the community of over 10,000 people, you have a team on that as well. We do. We're very lucky that we've got great people there. The community, the content stuff we do, again, everyone is remote. There's probably three or four people behind the content we do and considering that's a magazine which is a print magazine so a lot of effort goes into that a forum with over 10,000 members and the podcast itself we manage to do that but because we hire remotely we manage to bring in great people who probably do the work of two people or in some cases three people just because you mentioned it and i'm super curious about this you know i've seen the magazine section in the supermarket go from an entire aisle to an end cap basically just the end of the aisle and what made you guys think it would be a good idea to start a print magazine I think it's just that property is quite an old school industry in some ways. And we knew that we were reaching a good number of people online, but that's only going to be a tiny fraction of the total addressable market. There are going to be way more people who've been, maybe they've been in property for 20, 30 years and they're a bit older, or maybe they're just not the kind of people who are a bit weird and listen to podcasts and read blogs and that kind of thing. So going old school and going offline was a way of reaching them and also it just kind of gives us the opportunity to explore content in more interesting long-form ways and we can cover things in depth that you wouldn't really get into in a blog post so how is it that you guys both spend your days you've got these teams that it seems like are working very well for you remotely and also locally what do they expect from you guys at this point I seem to spend my life, and I'm sure it's the same for Rob, but I'll let him speak for himself, in meetings now. It used to be more hands-on in some of the businesses, but we've grown to a point now where we've got great people in place that what we do now is have meetings to manage those teams. And the rest of the time, we're exploring other opportunities as well. There's so much that we want to do. So once we've built a team, and once we've got the right people in place to run and manage and grow those businesses, then we look at other opportunities as well. We get bored easily, so we constantly need to be launching and trying out new things. Yeah, for my side, it's much the same. A lot of meetings, being available to troubleshoot or 
offer advice where needs be. And content creation, I've written a few books. I feel like I'm writing is probably where I've got a competitive advantage. Writing is what I do better than a lot of other people. And most of the other things I do, I kind of do at a pretty average level. So I try to make sure that I don't get totally sidetracked by doing things that I don't need to be doing and I free up time to write. And we both make sure that we make time to do do things like the podcasting and content creation because it's really lucky because that's the bit that drives everything else, but it's also the bit that we really enjoy. You guys said that you're easily bored and you're constantly looking for new projects. Are all the projects that you guys think about or dream about within the property space? They are at the moment because there's so much opportunity there. Because the industry is so poor in pretty much every sector, we know we can do a better job than most people in most sectors. I know that's probably sounds a bit arrogant, but it's not really that we're brilliant. It's that so many other people are rubbish. So we look at opportunities and go, that part of property investment has been really underserved and we want to do something about it. And the other thing is we have our community constantly emailing us or reaching out in different ways, however they get to us and saying, do you know somebody who does this? And if we struggle to give an answer, then we know we should probably do something about it. So it's not just constantly starting new businesses. It may be content stuff we want to do. So the magazine was something we launched recently. The meetups was not that long ago, and they've already grown to over 30. So it may not necessarily be a business. It may be a content piece or a content avenue. But it's really driven by what our audience wants, because if they don't want it, it won't work. Which is really interesting to hear someone say that owns a business, which is essentially the new modules in your business are driven by what the people that are listening to you or reading to you want, not necessarily driven by profit or by revenue. So how do you kind of balance the two? Obviously, you guys, seems like you have ambitions to make money as well. I love the anti-sell. I'm all about that. How do you balance the idea that you need to make a certain amount of money versus serving your customers? Because it seems like not all your customers are buying something from you. Yeah, and that's okay. There's no particular need why everyone needs to buy something. Every so often, I kind of look at how many people aren't buying anything from us and go, oh, maybe we should have something in the range that kind of suits these people. But actually, it's okay that most people don't. We've got enough people that do. And when we do launch something new, if it's intended to be profitable, then we need to research it and make sure that it actually is. So like there are businesses that we've looked at going into where there's a pain point for us as investors and we know from other people that there are as well, but we haven't been able to figure out how to turn it into something that's profitable enough to be worth pursuing right now. So we can't just do everything just because people want it. It's that kind of finding in the Venn diagram, the segment between what people are telling us they want and what we want to do and what going to generate enough money to make it worthwhile. You know, Dan, another point to pick out here is that you don't have to look at every customer as a number and an opportunity to make money. I think it's fascinating too. Like if you do that, you would miss out a lot of these opportunities that in some ways are their biggest opportunities because they're sort of, what do you call them? Like they're not straightforward. It's not like Let's just do more of what we're doing for this person in order to maximize our income from that person. It's like that person actually has much bigger and more profitable problems to solve. And if you hammer them on the first problem, you might not ever hear about the sort of tangential problem that might be the real opportunity down the line. 
It's like the slow roll, man. <laughs> I think it's interesting that they have their own ideas about what they want to be doing with their businesses and how that fits into, you know, what their customers want. So, you know, some of these weird ideas like print magazines, like when's the last time you picked up a print magazine? Yeah. That's something that they're passionate about, you know, like they want to develop a magazine. And so why not? I mean, I think they could be onto something there, you know, like Mark Manson talked about it a few months ago on the show as well, feeling this idea that like, look, we're talking about a very significant business and audience here. And it might be the case that the vast majority of their audience still isn't getting the majority of their information online. I think that's pretty fascinating. Or they're going back to it, man. It's like fashion, you know, it's like (laughs) all this weird stuff. Like everybody likes the quaintness of opening a magazine. Yeah. But maybe what's the most interesting about the Rob's for me is that they went remotely immediately and they decided not to have an office. I think that that's interesting because a lot of people, they go into these businesses and they just think like my back's up against the wall. Like I just have to do something to get out of my job. You know, the Robs, they had enough confidence to say like, all right, I think we're going to be good at this. And here's the way we want to design it that fits our lifestyle exactly the way that we want. But when you talk about their backs up against the wall, I mean, they were making a significant investment and taking risk on in order to build this business faster than it would have been otherwise. And so in that context specifically, it's fascinating to me that they would go remote and still keep in mind the design that they have for both their lives and their business. They took on risk in order to grow the business faster. So I asked Rob Bentz at this point in the interview how near he thought he was to developing the ideal workday in his business. I'm very close, very close now. I'm very much out the day-to-day in the majority of what I do. So I'm thinking of more strategic stuff to grow the businesses rather than answering the phones or replying to emails. My ideal working day is working in the mornings. So I love getting up really early. I tend to start work at 7 a.m. and I get my best stuff done until about lunchtime. So now I make sure I engineer my day that I start early. If I go into the office, I won't go in until mid-morning. If I eat lunch, I'll have it late lunch. That's the beauty of not having someone telling you when to work because my best work's in the morning, but I've never had a job where they said to me, Rob, can you work at 7 a.m. and work through till lunchtime? And then in the afternoons, if I'm going to make any calls, I do it then because my creative energies are in the morning and I'll do simple stuff that I find very easy, which is talking, which you may have guessed. I find talking very easy. So I'll have some phone meetings or just general calls with contractors, whoever it might be in the afternoons. And then in the evening, I rarely work past 6 p.m. because it just doesn't work for me from an energy point of view. I won't check emails, I'll switch off. I rarely check emails at all now. How long did it take you to get to that point where you realized what works for you? I think most of us, you know, myself included, I still struggle with what my ideal day should look like. How did you come to these conclusions and what are some of the steps that you took to make sure that you are able to spend your day the way that you want? I think for me, it's just kind of noticing what feels good and what doesn't and also having the attitude that something can be done about it. So if there's something that I don't enjoy doing, I first of all notice, and I don't know if you always do notice in the moment, but maybe you find that you're kind of drained of energy or you're cranky afterwards and you have to figure out that you don't like doing it. And then rather than just kind of accepting it and being a martyr, you have to go, okay, I don't like doing this. Does it have to be done at all or can someone else do it? And it's just going through that process. And it's a long process. I don't feel like I'm there yet, but I wouldn't say that I ever have 
a bad day. There are days when the balance isn't quite right for me. And there's also a kind of a bit of a grass is always greener element. So when I have a day packed with back-to-back calls, I thought, oh, I wish I had some time to do some writing and think about stuff today. And when I have a day with nothing else going on, I start getting bored. But other than that, being conscious and aware of what it is that you do and don't enjoy and what you are and aren't good at, and then taking gradual kind of positive steps to try and bring that about. Well, you mentioned the word martyr, and that was kind of the word that was lingering in my head. And I think part of the reason why you guys, at least to me, it seems like you don't have to be martyrs is because you're not optimizing your list or your customers to the nth degree. Although, yes, you do have a responsibility to fulfill what you have set out to do for them. You're not on this warpath to do everything for everyone to make as much money as possible. And so therefore, it affords you a little bit of time to kind of design your day and your life the way that you would expect it to be in your ideal situation. Yeah, I work long hours, but I work them the way I want to. So those long hours are filled with tasks I'm good at and at the times I'm best at working. And because of that, I don't resent at all working those long hours. I don't get up and go, oh, God, got to work again today, because it's work I've designed and, and chosen and know I'm good at. So I'm using my assets as a person of what I can do best. I work on those things all the time. And if I'm not good at something, I build a team to do those things. So I've got a lot of detailed people around me. It's not that I'm a walking mess. I can't organize myself, but it's not a natural skill set for me. So it's understanding what you're good at, what you're not good at, compensating when you can with good people around you, and then doubling down on the stuff that you are good at. Really easy to say and do, so that it does require a lot of self-awareness. You really do have to, over time, and it doesn't happen overnight, but over time, become aware of where your strengths lie and where your weaknesses are. But once you've done that, it becomes a really exciting place to be as a business owner or entrepreneur. And if you are able to say no to stuff that you don't want to do, because you're not focused on optimizing everything all the time, that definitely helps. So if there's something that just doesn't feel right or we could do something and it would make money, but it would be a bit of a drag, then just don't do it. It's nice to be in a position where you can do that, but it definitely helps. You could make a ton more money by letting thousands more people into the DC and you could spend all your time moderating the stuff on there and kind of trying to get people on track and trying to force everyone into being in the same mindset. But that's not going to work. It's not something that you would want to do. So you don't do it. I just want to say for the record that I like the way these guys roll. I like the way they roll too, man. I like how they do their thing, <laughs> man. Got a lot to learn from the Robs. We do. And, you know, in the terms of lifestyle design and, and building your days the way that you want to build them, I really respect these guys and that they've taken the time to engineer their business in a way that works for them. Because so often, Dan, I think people do it the opposite way around, right? It's like, oh, I want to have my coffee at this time and I want to work these hours and I want to be responsible for these things. But then they forget about this other side, which is the customers that actually pay you money. Reality. The reality. And so it's a real fine line that you have to toe, but I think that they do it well. And they are selfish in the way that they design their day, which I think that you should be because it's your day. And then they are unselfish in the way that they fulfill their customers' needs. You're going to get more out of your business if you're maximizing your creative energy too. So when he's saying like that best hour at 7 a.m., that's my time to shine. 
you want to harness that and leverage your staff who's willing to be responsible, say, to respond to customer emails during that period of the day so that you can retain it for yourself. You know, speaking of paper and schedules, I recently just rewrote my schedule around the things that I felt like were working for me last year and the things that I think I can improve on to get more of my best work out of me and, you know, work it around the constraints of the business and the commitments that I have. And yeah, I think it's a great exercise to do. Like you got to consider both ends of the stick, but just waking up in the morning and just kind of like going for it, you know, there's no way to design it because what's going to happen is you're going to like flow downhill, you know, to the <laughs> spot of least resistance, you know, and yeah, that's when people are calling you, they're texting you, they're bugging you, they're screaming at you, whatever it is. That's where your time's going to end up going, I think, if you're not proactive like this. So thank you to both the Robs for being on this podcast. And again, you can find this show at tropicalmba forward slash how does your business feel? How does your business feel? How does your business feel? Let us know in the comments. (laughs) We'll be back next Thursday morning. Thanks to the Robs for coming by and dropping the wisdom. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.